welcome to the latest episode of the ETF show. I'm Tom Bailey, the ETF editor at Interactive Investor. So today we're joined by Annika Gupta, who's an equity and commodity strategist at WisdomTree. And today we're going to talk about um, a, new, a new ETF on WisdomTree, which focuses on emerging markets and also emerging markets more generally. Do you want to just explain the broad idea behind the, the newly launched ETF, uh, WisdomTree Emerging Markets X State-Owned Enterprises ESG Screened? Um, its ticker is XSOE. Um, so, Annika, I wonder if you could maybe start uh, just by explaining kind of broadly um, what's behind this ETF, what's the strategy entail? Sure. Thanks, Tom. Um, you know, the, the, we've been doing, um, you know, a lot of academic research on this, on the, on the, you know, broad concept behind the actual ETF. And um, what it really boils down to is that there's a high prevalence of state-owned enterprises um, in emerging markets when you compare that to developed markets. And in that in that um, inherent ownership structure of state-owned enterprises, we see a lot of inefficiencies um, emanating from that ownership structure. So, what we, what we, uh, you know, our focus here was really to enable investors to tap into the long-term growth story of emerging markets by stripping out that uh, inefficiency that is often overlooked by investors. So what we're really trying to do here is enable investors to um, uh, get access to the long-term emerging market growth via accessing companies that are not owned um, by the state. Um, and, you know, our definition of non-state-owned entities is essentially um, those companies that have less than 20% ownership by the state. So, um, you know, that's that's essentially the, the, the broad idea uh, behind what really came, what was really behind uh, the generation of this strategy. Kind of emerging markets are quite associated with state owned enterprises. I was wondering, so you mentioned your definition there of, of um, um, the percentage ownership of the state compared to public markets or, or I guess other, other private actors. Uh, I was wondering if we can kind of speak more, maybe explain what exactly a state enterprise is and then how it's evolved in emerging markets and why emerging markets um, seem to have so many SOEs compared to, to other, other parts of the world. Sure. Um, so, tip. Uh, essentially, government ownership typically occurs um, via sovereign governments, uh, their agencies. It could be a local government or a sovereign wealth fund. And they essentially all enable political influence on a company. So essentially, what Wizardry defines a state-owned enterprise as firms with more than 20% of their outstanding shares um, held by these sort of institutions – um, which essentially are linked to a government entity. That's that's basically it. Yeah, and why why are there so many more um, state-owned enterprises in emerging markets and other other markets? I think um, yeah, that's it. That's a very interesting uh, point. We you know during the academic research that we were conducting at Wisdom Tree, we noticed a lot of the state ownership appears to be concentrated among public goods sectors uh, in comparison to private sectors. So you know the you know, the more capital intensive sectors, uh, such as utilities, energy, financials, um, you know, tended to demonstrate the most, uh, state ownership. Um, as these, essentially, we, the way we saw it was these sectors tended to include strategic state assets, such as banks, utilities, and national resources companies. Um, and, and hence, uh, you know, we saw the state 
take over and um, you know have a predominant stake in these uh, particular companies. And, and so obviously the idea is that over time, uh, SOEs being inefficient will provide lower returns. Um, so obviously the aim of the CTF is to screen out such companies. Um, and you mentioned also research um, you, you've done on this. Could you kind of explain the data there, um, what, it, what it's kind of sure. shown over what time frames? Sure, absolutely. So we've we've been um, you know we've been looking at this for quite a while. Uh, you know, it dates back to um, you know December of twenty of two thousand seven. And, um, you know, if you look over the period from December of 2007 all the way up to June of this year, um, what, you know, you see is a a, a clear structural advantage of non-state-owned enterprises versus state-owned enterprises. So essentially how we, how Wisdomry went about it is we constructed broad, broad broad-based market capitalization weighted portfolios of state-owned enterprises and non-state-owned enterprises. And essentially, we observed that non-state-owned enterprises displayed higher performance. Uh, you know, you, you basically, we saw predominant industries among non-state-owned enterprises with those that were associated with stronger earnings and revenue growth potential, which essentially helped them outperform, um, you know, the state-owned enterprises. And we saw, we saw um, it's been quite high at uh, 93.85% over this period. Um, the other metric, which is, you know, something that investors have been really looking out for is quality. Um, and even on that metric, non-state-owned enterprises rank very highly. So on analyzing, you know, fundamental measures of quality, such as return on assets and return on equity, um, we've again observed that non-state-owned enterprises um, had a distinct advantage over state-owned enterprises. So, um, you know, non-state-owned enterprises essentially demonstrated better aggregate profitability um, owing to its exposure to more efficiently run companies uh, in comparison to state-owned entities, which are, which in our opinion are have a lot of inefficiencies within the system. And then the other very important factor is leverage, um, you know, and, and the way we measure this is as net uh, debt to equity. And um, I think it's it's owing to the mere nature of the predominance of state-owned enterprises in highly leveraged sectors such as financials, energy, and utilities that, um, you know, non-state-owned enterprises tended to have lower leverage versus state-owned enterprises. So that was another very important, um, uh, you know, characteristic that we thought, you know, would be very interesting to investors. So, you know, we've seen an outperformance in terms of the numbers. Um, so the numbers really, you know, say it all. But if we really dig into it, it's, it's you know, a better ranking on the basis of quality. It's a better ranking on the basis of um uh, more efficiently run companies by taking on le- lower um, lower amounts of leverage, and um, you know, given the environment we're you know currently living in, the non SOEs also had uh, you know an implicit, uh, explicit tilt towards environmental and more sustainable uh, ways of um, uh, you know running their companies. So. You know, by by which I mean is non-state-owned enterprises, um, owing to their lower degree of state ownership, uh, you know, 
essentially tilted away from companies that ranked poorly on environmental considerations. So, you know, if you take the oper- op- opposite end of the spectrum, a state-owned enterprise, which would typically be very dominated in the energy sector or the material sector, um, you know, would rank a lot more poorly on environmental considerations. So this is another metric where non-state-owned enterprises rank quite highly. And um, the other very, very important criterion is uh, governance. Uh, you know, the way non-state, non-state-owned enterprises are run essentially avoid the key governance um, issues that, that crop up in state-owned enterprises. Um, for example, you know, the inherent principal agent problem where, you know, the principle being the, the, you know, the, the state and the, uh, and the agent, the, the agent being, you know, the, the actual underlying shareholder. And what you see is a, is a clear conflict between the two. Um, uh, you know, where you see the income, incumbent government's objective is really at the cost of generating maximum possible shareholder return. And this we believe results in inherent efficiencies in uh, state-owned en- enterprises. Oh, and as you mentioned ESG then, um, when you add this criteria to screen out um, state enterprises, how much does it change the, the index compared to other kind of major major emerging market indices? So, I mean, what, what, are you, what countries but also sectors are you overweighting and underweighting? I suppose obviously you'll, you'll be um, underweight kind of energy and overweight, um, maybe information technology, but more broad, more broader than that. The way the methodology runs is after we um, eliminate, uh, you know, the state-owned enterprises, uh, we see, owing to the dominance of state-owned enterprises, not only from a sector perspective, but also from a geographical standpoint, you see a high dominance of uh, state-owned enterprises in China. Um, in addition, you also see a high dominance of state-owned enterprises in um, in India as well. And if you look at it from a sector perspective, as you as you correctly mentioned, you you have a high dominance of um, you know state-owned enterprises in uh, financials, energy, materials, um, and and so that's those are segments where you see um, a tilt of you know we're essentially tilting away from the from the original EM universe. And, and then which which um, kind of sectors and countries would, would you say are overrepresented in, in not overrepresented, but um, you might you would see more of in, in, in this index than you would perhaps see in a, in a in another EM index? So the 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 key sectors that we are um, overweight are information technology, uh, communication services, consumer discretionary, um, healthcare. So, you know, those sectors of the economy that are essentially tilted to the new economy sectors. So the, you know, the, the sectors where we believe, you know, the burgeoning middle class is, is likely to grow. And as they seek a higher standard of living, we expect those segments of the economy to, to witness the highest growth rates over the long term. So also kind of, it seems like it, it, it waits it away from, um, from value and cyclical stocks towards a more, more growth and quality, um, aspect. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so, so moving on to emerging markets more generally. Uh, so the big story this year obviously has been the, um, the so-called tech crackdown in China, which has kind of spread a bit beyond even just tech stocks in China. Um, yeah. I wonder if you could explain your interpretation of this and what you think it means for investors. 
So our take on, on uh, you know, the recent regulatory herd, uh, headwinds that um, Chinese equities have been facing, um, you know, uh, we, we believe they're broadly centered around three core areas. Um, I think the Beijing government is really focused on anti-competitive monopolistic behavior. Um, you know, the second being data security issues. And last of all, they want to ensure customer protection. And I think China's foreign policy aggressiveness chimes in very um, well with their principles on domestic populism. So, um, you know, I think what China is really trying to do is they they clearly are on a path of, um, you know, stronger growth rate. And they're also trying they're, they're vying to be, uh, you know, a leader in technology. But they want to do that not at the cost of the common man. They want to make it a level, level playing field for all segments of the economy. Um, the other, the other uh, avenue we always look at in terms of getting direction on, you know, where these regulatory headwinds are, are going is we, we look to the Ministry of Industry and Information Technology. And, uh, you know, what we observed from there was this, this six month review of, uh, you know, which started off as a six-month review of internet companies, began on July 23rd. And um, if you if you really look six months down the line, you essentially, um, you know, arrive at February of 2022. And that falls in, um, you know, very, very well with China's political and economic calendar. So, um, you know, as we all know, we have the Beijing Olympics, which are commencing in February 2022. And there will also be the the five year, the final meeting of the five year session of the 13th National People's Congress in March 2022. And so we believe that the, you know, the current regulatory headwinds that are taking place, not only in the technology sector, but also in, you know, ride healing companies and the education sector is really focused on, um, uh, you know, China's uh, initiative to make this a level playing field. And Xi Jinping in, in, um, in, uh, in preparation for the upcoming final meeting of the five year session wants to ensure that he ha- he has control over the political, um, uh, you know, of, over the CCP for the next 10 years. And there will be some key appointments that are likely to be made. So I think this, these, these, we're already, you know, almost halfway down that six month period. And I think by the time we reach the end of the six month period, we will see these re- regulatory headwinds, um, subside. Uh, and in terms of making progress, we've already seen around 68 of those leading internet companies being Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, uh, ByteDance, Weibo, and, uh, Qui, uh, they've already completed the rectification as required. So they're, you know, we're seeing progress being made. And the way we look at it is that timeline is, is, uh, falling perfectly in line with the year ahead in 2022. And I think in our opinion, Beijing is just getting ready, um, uh, you know, for that next phase of the, the economic cycle. That's interesting. Um, so, uh, emerging markets were tipped to be, uh, kind of, um, not necessarily by yourself, but were tipped by many, uh, to do well this year. And, uh, broadly they've underperformed so far. Um, what, what do you think is going on here? 
I think um, a lot has to do with uh, the, you know, the, the COVID pandemic, um, as well as the performance of the U.S. dollar. So, um, you know, if you look at the historical performance since the middle of 2020, emerging markets have staged a very strong recovery uh, up until the first quarter of 2021 uh, this year. And I think after that period, we've, start, we've started to see emerging markets take a, take a bit of a back, uh, you know, a, a, a beating uh, owing to the resurgence of COVID cases, uh, particularly in India. We saw the resurgence of the Delta variant. Um, and then following that, we saw the resurgence of the Delta variant in several parts of Asia. And I think the and obviously we've also seen, um, you know, the resurgence of of um, uh, the coronavirus pandemic in Brazil, as well as South Africa. And I think that uh, was a big setback for the emerging market landscape, especially when they were, you know, recovering at quite a fast pace or from the middle of 2020 up to the first quarter of 2021. And as we saw a bit of deceleration in growth, we 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 also saw, uh, you know, a bid for the safe haven dollar. And uh, that has also been another, uh, you know, factor that has led to uh, emerging markets uh, performance being a bit lackluster after the first quarter of 2021. We um, we're now starting to see a number of economies, uh, you know, market turnaround. The first being um, India. We've seen uh, the most recent GDP print, uh, you know, uh, come up quite strongly. We're starting to see PMI numbers actually uh, revise upward. Um, Brazil is really benefiting in a very strong way from higher commodity prices and the reflation theme. I think that's another economy that has, uh, you know, been uh, suffering for, for an extended period of time. And um, Brazil, followed by uh, Mexico, is really helping uh, the Latin American um, region of emerging markets, uh, you know, come back uh, to the to the fore. The other economy that has also benefited in a big way has been Russia, and that is uh, owing to higher oil prices uh, over the first half of 2021. So I think that's another story that is benefiting, um, you know, a big emerging market like Russia and is likely to do so going forward. So regarding, um, you know, the recent uh, pause in um, performance in the Asian economy, I think that has a strong uh, uh, you know, one of the strongest factors holding them back has been the resurgence of cases of uh, COVID. But we're now starting to see uh, the numbers improve. We're starting to see China bounce back from, um, uh, you know, the recent uh, surge in coronavirus cases. And I think the bounce back has been quite fast. We've been able to pick up quite quickly after some very stringent and sharp uh, lockdowns that were that were held in its economy. Um, so we, we still remain quite optimistic on um, uh, emerging markets as, as, a, as a sector and as a region. Um, and within that, we definitely see the highest opportunity being attributed to uh, non-state-owned enterprises. Um, you know, we've also been observing uh, data regarding uh, the default rates of um, state-owned enterprises and non-state-owned enterprises in China. And for a considerable period of time, um, state-owned uh, enterprises were virtually non-existent in terms of 
onshore and offshore defaults in uh, you know in china and um, if you observe the data in 2020 we've seen a sharp rise in uh, the share of um, uh, outstanding defaults by um, by state owned enterprises um so you know before it was essentially the private sector and non state owned enterprises that were dominating um the defaults that were taking place but i think the messaging from the chinese economy is coming out very very clearly and again it really chimes in with their common theme um you know as they prepare for uh 2022 which is uh you know they are willing to let the companies that are less you know that are less efficiently run they are willing to let it go and will willing to let it default and that is evident in the numbers so this is something we are uh you know tracking quite closely and i think it is a good thing because um you know state owned and that that implicit guarantee that investors have always held on to for state owned enterprises is now going to uh, is is now getting diluted and as that happens we will see a re-rating of risk between state owned enterprises and non-state owned enterprises um so i think that's another factor going in the favor of um uh, non-state owned enterprises and given the dominance of uh, you know state owned enterprises within china and this messaging that we are indirectly receiving from china um it really really uh you know provides uh impetus to our strategy of why we see value in non-state owned enterprises within the emerging markets region thank you anika and thank you for listening uh please like like and subscribe and of course you can find loads of more investment insights and ideas at ii.co.uk um and i'll be back next month for another episode